0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Greatest Games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me of course is Jonathan Wilson and with us this week is Sid Lowe, journalist based in Spain whose voice is regularly heard on the Guardian Football Weekly Podcast a contributor to the Guardian, World Soccer 442 among many others and an author with works that include Fear and Loathing in La Liga and Catholicism War and the Foundation of Francoism. Sid, a pleasure to have you on the pod. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Did I get enough in there? At the introduction? Yeah, I, I, it
1: just it, it it just made me laugh to hear someone name name named pick the Catholicism book because you know that's kind of the. The, the, the disappearing book that almost doesn't exist, um, partly because like most academic texts, it's about 100 quid to buy the bloody thing.
0: Yeah, well, I just, you know, it, it, for those completionists, low completionists out there, they need to know uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of these titles, yeah. you know. Um, but yes, it, and also it shows your repertoire as well, my good man.
1: Oh, Yes.
0: <laughs> well, Sid, today we go back to uh, January 1997. Sporting, Gijon nil. Real Oviedo, nil. Why have you yep. chosen this game?
1: I've given you a real classic. Um, you know, this is <laughs> just a fantastic game from end-to-end. Goals, yeah. just amazing chances. You sure you don't want a classic, Sid?
0: Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, look, it, it,
1: you know... It, I must admit there was a little bit of me that thought I I don't really know which game to do in so much as I could have done loads of games um, in so much as this game is mostly shit um, (laughs) that there really isn't a huge amount happening in it uh, but I, I was kind of driven, and I'm going to blame Jonathan now, because I think blaming Jonathan is is, is quite a good approach to life. Mm. And, 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 you know, he kind of said, I oh, could do, do, do any game you want. And, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be about a game that everyone can engage with. In. in fact, if it's a little bit left field, then so much the better. And then Jonathan also said something very, very important to me, which was we've had a lot of Liverpool. <laughs> and, and to,
0: uh, yeah the, the, these are the secret and, conversations that go on behind the doors of uh, the blizzard. And,
1: and, and i'll be honest with you mm. if there is a single game that you know i would kind of pluck out the sky whenever i'm asked about a game it would probably be the 1986 fa cup final um but you know you've had a lot of liverpool mm. so let's do something else and 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 something that uh that kind of allows us I don't really know what it allows us to talk about. I suppose it just allows us to talk about the whole idea of discovering a football team, you know, having a new experience. And, and I think one of the beauties, which I believe that I've now lost, um, and, and it sometimes upsets me that I've now lost this, one of the beauties, of course, of going abroad and, and, and writing from a foreign country is that sense that everything you see is a discovery. And I must admit, I miss that now because I've been in Spain for so long that I feel like I'm not discovering anything. And I suspect that my writing is worse because of that. And that may well be that there's, a, if you like, a kind of a background of knowledge that I didn't have when I first came. But now when I go to a game, not everything jumps at me. Not everything mm. makes me think, oh, that's worth telling. Because of course it's, and actually in a way it would be quite nice to have the the sort of the innocence of discovery again, or, or, or the, the the freshness, the newness of it. So I guess the long and short of this is I'm I'm now currently announcing my intention to leave Spain and go and become <laughs> a, a correspondent in Uruguay, which is which is which is definitely the place I want to go and watch football. I think for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah,
0: Jonathan. Um... Well, no,
2: I, I think I find it fascinating you say that because um, without means make this too self-indulgent and too much about. the the practice of journalism. But when I I got the gig as as the FT's football correspondent, it very quickly became this terrible treadmill of, and in those days, it was only a big four. So just going constantly, Chelsea, United, Liverpool, Arsenal. Chelsea, United, Mm. Liverpool, Arsenal. Chelsea, United, Liverpool, Arsenal. And you go, press conference game, press conference game, press conference game, press conference game. And you pretty quickly get, or I, I found myself pretty quickly getting jaded. And, and yeah, there are correspondents who cover the same club for 30, 40 years and seem to do it with remarkable uh, capacity to find new things to talk about and remarkable energy and enthusiasm. I, I don't have that. I can't do that. No. So so one of the reasons why I go to the combinations of Nations every, every two years, You're know, why I've spent so much time in Argentina, is because I, you know, I I enjoy that 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 practice of finding out new stuff and then conveying that to an audience. Now I you know I recognize particularly as you get older and physically it wears you out in travel. Um, you, know, you you end up sort of settling into a bit of a rhythm and you do get you know the compensation is as Sid says you do get this sort of wealth of knowledge and you refer back to things you've you've seen previously, but it is a different type of journalism and it perhaps lacks the sort of the the vigour and the energy and the the the, the spark that, that you have a, when you when you come across these things for the first time?
1: Uh, the enthusiasm, definitely the enthusiasm. And, you know, I mean, in a way, I, I, I appreciate that even this in itself is, is getting kind of caught in a rut. But for example, I'd be willing to bet, now I might be wrong about this, but over the last 10 seasons in Spain, my first Monday morning column of the season in the Guardian, um, for the first weekend of the season, going back 10 years, I reckon at least nine of them, on a newly promoted team, eight or nine of them, because in a way it's like, actually, you know what? This is me going to them because I want to see it because it feels new to me. And now obviously it's it's not true that you haven't watched anyone in the second division play, but normally those clubs coming up, there's that sense of something new and that enthusiasm and the excitement and the, and the discovery. And and, and yeah, you. I mean, the other thing you said, Jennifer, the people seem to do remarkably well covering the same club for ages. Quite a lot of the journalists that, of course, we know most of them, also do it remarkably enthusiastically, some of them. And, and, and I find that quite hard work. And one of the reasons why I'm a, a slightly weird Spanish football correspondent, I think, is precisely because despite having written the book on it, quite literally written a book on it, um, I, I, I don't find Madrid and Barcelona as interesting as the other clubs, in part, I think, because I feel like I want to tell people things they don't know. Um, rather than maybe just give them a different view on something they already do know or, or even not a different view. Maybe it's just maybe I'm saying the same things that they already know. And, I, and I'd much rather go and see a bar play or, or, or something like that just because it's different. It's something else.
0: So in 1997, where were you then in terms of sort of right. career and, and and so on? Because this, this is the year of the game that you've chosen, of course.
1: Yeah. And, and, and in a way, you know, this is even this goes well beyond journalism in that this is discovery in in the in in the purest sense if you like so 96-97 is the season uh (laughs) that says it all doesn't it the season in which I go to Oviedo University so it's you know this uh, the year which I go (laughs) it's the academic year that the season in which I go to Oviedo and actually you know as you can imagine this is discovery well beyond uh it's a discovery Mm -hmm. of, of all sorts of things and this is one of the reasons as well why by, on a purely subjective level, although I would probably argue that there's an objective case to be made here as well, there has never in my life been a player make a single season impact on me like Brazilian Ronaldo at Barcelona. But it may well be because it's the first season I live in Spain. And I'll be honest with you, I'd never heard of him. Well, I, I don't know, I might have heard him get mentioned in, in, in Holland, but he turns up at, at Barcelona and I go to Spain. And so, of course, what happens when you go to Spain is... Even if you do go, and we did this as a group of a very small group of English guys living in Oviedo, you go every Saturday and watch the English game, whatever it was, it's shown on Spanish TV only one a week. But you then sort of you go, right, well, okay, I'm in Spain now, let's do Spanish football. And then you have this thing, because Ronaldo was a thing. Just, just unbelievably good, just destroying teams on his own. As I say, genuinely, all these amazing messy seasons that I've watched, I could argue, I could agree that objectively some of his seasons were better than Ronaldo. But that sense of discovering something I'd never seen or never heard of, which is why I think Ronaldo for me has this kind of wow factor that probably only Maradona has. Because, of course, in 86, when I'm nine years old, when that World Cup starts, I'm 10, I think, on the day of the quarterfinal Brazil against France. um, Again, Maradona was a discovery. I'm not saying no one had heard of him. But back then, you didn't watch international football like you do now. So you did discover people. And so that was an entire year of discovery for me. It's a new place, it's a new football. And of course, in my case, because I lived in Oviedo, it crystallizes about around Real Oviedo. And this game in January nineteen ninety-seven is a discovery because it's the biggest of the games because it's Real Oviedo away against the local rivals, sporting Gijon, and everything that kind of that goes with that as as an experience.
2: I mean can you explain a bit about Oviedo as a town? I mean where is it? What's it like?
1: so Oviedo so is the is the capital of, of Asturias which is uh, the, the principality within Spain so a bit like Prince Charles is the Prince of Wales the, the you know the heir to the throne is the Prince of Asturias that doesn't really mean very much to be perfectly honest uh, it's a it's an area that's wet it's an area that's that's mountainous that has a long history of um, coal mining a long if you like, left-wing history as well, um, politically speaking. There was an Asturias revolution in 1934, two years before the Spanish Civil War. Uh, it has a kind of a very proud identity in, in that sense, although it doesn't have an independent identity like, for example, Galicia, Asturia, uh, sorry, Galicia or, or Catalonia or the Basque country has. In fact, there's a phrase that, that Spaniards like to use because the, the Reconquista against the, against the Moors supposedly begins at the Battle of Covadonga. Which is in in Asturias in eleven? Which year is it? Eleven? Oh crikey! I should know this. Forty nine, I think, but I'm not completely sure about that. I don't
0: think anyone's going to pull it up, pull you up on that. Is so it? Don't worry. Some, someone will. <laughs> someone always.
1: Someone always does. It'll probably show my bias somehow. Um, so. So um, there's this phrase that gets used in Asturias, which is um, Asturias is Spain. The rest of it is just conquered territory. Because that's where, you know, it's the only part that wasn't conquered by the Moors and where the reconquest supposedly starts. Um, And and yet it's curious because as I've just said, Asturias in theory is a place with a a left-wing identity, but Oviedo being the capital city of it is very much, if you like, a kind of a bourgeois enclave in that. And to be honest, Oviedo is very prim as a city, very clean, very smart, um, very elegant. But a, a brilliant place to, to go to university and um, study, mm. Mm.
0: Um, Jonathan. What were your thoughts on, on La Liga in, around that time in nineteen ninety seven? Because for me, that was when you know Sky Sports started showing it, and y- 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 there was a bit of interest over here.
2: Yeah, I mean, being honest, I didn't didn't know anything about it. I, I, you know, we saw clips of Ronaldo doing brilliant things every now and again, sure. And beyond that, really not very much. I mean, I, I was I was at university then. Um, and I'm not even sure we had Sky at university. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think we did have it. So so my football was match of the day and whatever live game you could find or you go to the pub to watch it. Yeah. So at the time, um, yeah, my knowledge of La Liga would have been next to nil. Obviously, subsequently, I've gone back and you know, doing the book on Barcelona, you look at Robson's season and everything. But no, at the, at the time, my knowledge would have been almost almost nothing. But I mean, what I was sorry. What what I what I was struck by, and I, you know, because you, know, you wrote a piece about this game for the Guardian uh, when at the beginning yeah. of lockdown, mm-hmm. we were all asked to do just write six hundred words about your favourite game because they were desperately trying to fill some space. <laughs> and what what most people seem to do was to do a game about a team they supported, so they were able to be much more sort of emotionally and individually engaged. And you obviously became an Oviedo fan. But I was struck by what you were talking about. Uh, and the, 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 the sort of the, the, the travel to, to this game and, and so a sense of menace, a sense of threat the police mm. and it was exactly what I'd had going to Sunderland Away games when I was sort 17-18 of so there is I mean there is something kind of very um, I don't even know what the word is but that, that sort of first sense of taking on the identity of, of a club and that bringing you into situations you wouldn't normally be in, there is something viscerally stirring about that, viscerally stirring about that.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And, and and obviously, the other thing is, for me, this was possibly even more new than it would have been for you, had you been the student that turned up in Oviedo and gone to this game, because as you say, you'd experienced it. I, in truth, hadn't. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm past the point now where I can pretend otherwise. I'm a London Liverpool fan. And so, obviously, I while I went to a lot of Liverpool away games, I didn't do the travel to game I didn't have that that kind of part of the package which is that you travel together in big numbers I was traveling with my dad to games and so it's true that you would see occasionally fairly scary things because you know I saw Liverpool play at at, uh, well all over London basically so so some of those weren't always particularly pleasant and the one that I really remember very clearly was seeing Liverpool at um, Loftus Road against QPR I used to go to QPR a lot because my older brother's a QPR fan but being in the Liverpool end which wasn't an end it was a side at Loftus Road and it would be standing and the police having to pull us out because and this was pre-Hillsborough and he looked back on it in the context of Hillsborough and how scary it was pull us out because it was too squashed and so literally they had the kids pulled us out because I was below people's waists couldn't see anything and I remember them having us lined up sitting on the pitch we were literally sitting around the edge of the pitch while they waited for a space to open further down the pitch and literally walk us along the pitch and put us back in but put us back in at a part that wasn't quite so squashed but I never had this kind of go to grounds and and, and experience the menace in quite that way um, that, that I had with with this game. And, and because of course as I say, because part of it is the travel. And and the 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 thing that really sticks with me about this game is 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 twofold. One is getting a train to Gijon from Oviedo which is about 35 kilometers and the other is walking from the train station to Gijon's ground and seeing if you like that that and, and seeing and feeling that sense of of menace there. Mm.
0: All right, chaps. Let's have a quick break, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, the game itself and, and a bit more Real Oviedo. So, join us in just a moment. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard, um, Sid. You were just talking about the, the the journey to the game and so on. Do you think? I mean, you know, you mentioned that you're a, a, a Liverpool fan, but obviously a Londoner. Was it a was it sort of like a conscious decision to 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 kind of Support a local side, you know. You were studying in Oviedo, and you thought, "Ah, oh, this is maybe my chance to do that." Or was it just because they were the local team? You, you didn't, mm-hmm. being a student, you didn't have that much cash, and then some of the other sides were a bit further away.
1: I, I think, I think, um, I, I think what happens is, I think we, I think this is true in all areas of life. I think we sometimes retrospectively justify decisions that we make, and and obviously, you know, writing about Madrid and Barcelona, this has always been something that I've been very clear on. You know, a lot of Barcelona fans. Obviously, there's a whole narrative that's built up around Barcelona. And yet when those fans chose to be Barcelona fans, they probably weren't aware of it. They probably had no sense of it. It's just something you fell into. Mm. And I feel like with Oviedo, maybe there's an element of that. So, so they're just the local team. But subsequently, I think that this wasn't glory hunting. And you know, and I'm, I'm acutely aware, <laughs> being, a, being a Londoner who supports Liverpool, I'm acutely aware of that sense that I really shouldn't. Mm. Right? I, I'm acutely aware of the fact that all my friends are Spurs fans. And I kind of wish I was a Spurs fan. It feels wrong to, to to not be a Spurs fan, or at least an Arsenal fan, given given that I'm from North London. Um, and I think we've obviously you know, I quite quite like the fact that subsequently, mm-hmm. I could, I don't know if I would say necessarily make a thing of, but buy into the idea that that I'm a I'm a supporter of a of a, of a smaller club. In a way, though, it was even more simple. It was just that they are the local team. So, for example, um, we turn up. We turn up in Oviedo um, on a bus from from Bilbao, me and a guy called Chris, and we're on the bus and we're listening to the radio. And Oviedo are playing Barcelona. This is Pep Guardiola playing for Barcelona. This is actually the day that Guardiola meets Juan Melillo. It's the day that, that Oviedo play Barcelona. And they um, and, and, and we're listening on the radio. Leave it. That's bad luck. We, we arrive in Oviedo, when is it? The Back end of September, maybe the very start of October for the academic year. Yeah ah, oh, we've already missed Barcelona. That's a real bummer. You know, get Barcelona comes to the city and we're not going to get the chance to go and see them play. And we look at the fixture list and we realise we've missed three home games. We've missed Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Athletic Club Bilbao. You think, <laughs> you think, you think fuck our luck. I mean, this is, you know. This is, and, and so, of course, me and Chris, who had who decided that we would probably go and watch Oviedo every week, decide at that point that we're not going to buy season tickets. Because what's the point, right? Because we missed the three big games that we really wanted to see. Um, but then what happens is we go and see Oviedo play against um, Deportivo La Coruña, I think it is. The B teams play. And then that weekend, the A teams play. And we went to every single Oviedo game that season until I broke my ankle. And I even went to a game in a wheelchair. In fact, I went to the reverse fixture of this, to Oviedo against Sporting in a wheelchair at the back end of the season. But it was just because you kind of get into it. And also because I think what you discover um, as well is that, is that a football club is a fantastic way into, into a community. Mm. Into, into, you know, and, and, and the truth is that however much you turn up in a place and you're young and you're a bit cocky and you think you're going to be all right, it's nice to be able to talk to people and yeah. to have a reason to do so.
0: But did you find it accessible when when you went to, to Railroad? Because, I, I mean, to be honest with you, on a sort of more, sort of perhaps a more uh, sort of silly local level, see, for me, I never had a team. Like say Jonathan growing up, you know Jonathan from Sunderland, Sports Sunderland, not too dissimilar to yourself, Sid. Although it wasn't particularly attached to a side, and it really went a number of years without supporting a team, and uh, and so on. And it was when I moved up to to Southwest London, I thought to myself, right, I can uh, let's try and do this properly. If that's even, I mean, I, it doesn't bother me so much if somebody supports a team from not from where they're from, but I think there is there is a kind of a. I don't know, a niceness or a purity to it or something like that. And so that's what I started going to watch yeah. Fulham because I thought, well, this is the local side. I'm now sort of, I've lived in the area for, for a number of years. But Fulham are a very accessible side. Of course, you know, you get a lot of people who move to London from other parts of the UK or other parts of the world and Fulham become their second team. And for some people, they, they may even creep into being their first team. But it, 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 I think if you try to do that to, say, Chelsea or Arsenal or Spurs, it might be a little bit more tricky, perhaps. So did you find... Find it accessible with, with Rio Oviedo because as you say you're clearly not a glory supporter if you're going along to see them.
1: Um, yes, I did. I mean, on 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 firstly on the mechanical level, which is that you could get tickets for every game. In fact, not only that, but we managed to almost every week um, we managed to get tickets that were, that were the under sixteen category, so we were getting in pretty cheap as well. I don't know how we I don't know how we got away with that. I think fundamentally no one really cared. The other thing that was that you know at the start I was talking about discovery. I, I sometimes felt like there was a bit of a discovery of them, of us as well, because there was a kind of a curiosity element of these these English guys going to games. Now that didn't really happen with the home games because of course with a home game, you go into the stadium and then you leave the stadium again. And and Chris lived within a minute and a half walk of the ground. I mean, you could see the ground from from his kitchen window, not the pitch, unfortunately, or else we might never have gone to games. Um, And and so maybe less so at the home games. but certainly we went on some away games, we decided right okay we're going to do this properly after a while, so we went away to, to, to see them at Real Madrid. This game obviously, which is the, the really big one against sporting we saw them away at Real Sociedad um, we saw them away at, where else did we go, we went to one of the other basketball teams, that might even know, didn't go to Bilbao, but I can't remember where else we saw them, but we, we went away a few times, and what, what happens in Spain is that the away games are run by supporters clubs. So you go on a bus with people on the supporters club. And, and so for example, me and Chris, we often still talk about the, the game. I think it was away at Russell Fledad. We're on a bus for six hours. You know, you get stopped on the way into the Basque country. The police come on, they throw everyone off. They look through the bus because they convince you're up to no good. Um, looking back on it, probably some of the people we traveled with probably were up to no good. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe we weren't always aware of this. And I think there was a kind of, you know, what are these two random English guys doing with us? And, and, and certainly I remember being on those trips they would come to us to talk to us rather than us having to make an effort. And so I'd like, "Hang on, oh, who are these two guys here? Because what we would do would, go, would be to go to the supporters club in the week before the game and buy the tickets off them. And and as I say, you've got a few fairly choice characters among some of the people there, and, and that's what happened. Now, the, the, the sporting trip was probably a little bit more organised, a little bit more bigger numbers as well involved. But uh, so I think that excess accessibility um, certainly played a part, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think when you you describe travelling to this game, you know you were all crammed on a train, and uh, to, to quote your piece, glasses of piss. Passed yeah. along precariously and chucked out the window. I mean, that's uh, that's that's community building stuff. Sid.
1: I mean, I remember I remember that so so clearly because that was that train was was rocking from side to side, and I still have this image of this glass thinking, that's that that spilling, that is spilling. Just, just, you know, get it out the window quick, and it would be passed to someone who's going kind to of get it out the window, um, and and you know, it, just the, the sort of that, that was you know that was community building in a way, I and mean, it was a bit. Mm-mm. Weird and, and with hindsight, you know, I felt a little bit uneasy even writing that piece of the Guardian because there's a bit of me a thought, is there a risk here that it feels like I'm celebrating something that I probably shouldn't be celebrating? Something that I probably shouldn't be saying is is a good thing? Because I mean objectively, it's a lot of this isn't a good thing. Um, mm. but there was that sense of, you know, everyone turned up at the train station. I think it was a Sunday morning, and we're we packed onto this train, and we are absolutely packed onto this train. Mm. And then and then the other thing that happened was that on the way there, obviously. One of the things about trains, unlike buses, is they can't go off course. <laughs> uh, I mean, except in really disastrous moments, they can't go off course. And so you you have this situation where, as, as we start getting close to kikon some sporting fans know which stations we're going to be going through, even though we're not stopping. So we got to a point where there were fans waiting on platforms in the sort of ten kilometres or so before kikon chucking things at the train as it went past. So we we're on the train hearing this thudding noise against the side of the trains we we're going, through and, and this whole thing kind of crystallizes for me in one image which was the the housemate of, of one of this little group of English guys that lived in Oviedo in, a guy called Jaime um who I remember having a a poster on his wall basically referring to, Gijon", in other words, the absolute scum that is Gijon. And, and, and I think, if I remember rightly, him even having sort of a mini baseball bat with the words Gijon written on the side. And Ooh, then, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think it was to, I, in fairness, I think it was tongue-in-cheek. Know, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. You know, a serious thing. I mean, it's, Although, admittedly, with hindsight, you think, mm, yeah, that wasn't bad. <laughs> really. um, but I remember when we said to him, me and Chris and this other Chris, hey, we might go to this, we might go to the Derby. And he said and this is the the, the the image that for me crystallizes the whole game wear a workman's helmet mm. what he said wear a workman's helmet what do you mean a uh, blue one if you can find one obviously we couldn't and as it turned out none of us wore workman's helmet in my mind's eye i can see us getting off the train and kick on and i can see loads of people in workman's helmets the reality is it's probably only a dozen or so mm. but you know in my mind it's like everyone's wearing a workman's helmet and of course this was because once you got off the train station and you're going to the stadium And you're taken there by police, but you're walking, and it's about three kilometres, and it's along the seafront. And of course, what happens is some of the sporting fans line up and chuck things at you as you go past. And so it's like that's why you wear it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so in in my mind, in a way that you know, this kind of crystallizes in that moment in which Jaime says to us, "Wear a workman's helmet."
0: I mean, the, the colour blue is obviously the. Just for the, the club, yeah. And that's yeah, or, reason. I was thinking maybe it was like a UN kind of blue. They might think, oh, we'll leave them alone. you know, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> They're the peacekeepers, perhaps. If, if, if only. If that <laughs> only. <laughs> um, talking about the actual football itself, if we, if we can, for a, for a moment, um, Jonathan. Real Aviedo, were managed by Juan Malillo, uh, who uh, we mentioned earlier on, who's, of course, at Manchester City at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean, Sid mentioned the first meeting between him and Spadiolo, and mm. now he's his assistant. Um, so I mean, look, Sid knows is better than me, and he did that brilliant interview for Blizzard with, with Leo. So Sid, tell us about Juanma Leo. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I mean, it's difficult to know where to start, except to say that I love Juanma Leo. Um, he he, yeah. So that day, that day that we were arriving in Oviedo and we were missing this Barcelona game, genuinely, at the end of the game, there's literally a knock on the door at the Oviedo dressing room door, and it's Pep Guardiola who wants to talk to Juanma Leo because he really likes the way that his team plays. And Juanma will always tell you. Uh, and this is very much in character for Kwanma, but they played wonderful football that year. And as I always say to him, yeah, but we didn't win very often <laughs> said, Ah, oh, but we played lovely football the way we brought it out from the back, you know, the, the, the quality of the passing and stuff. And I think even that's probably not entirely true. But but you know, there were certain things. But but Juanma is a guy who I mean to try to try and cut through a lot of his history is a guy who has a very, very clear sense of footballing identity, of what football should be of how you should teach it, how you should play it, uh, which is all about technique, it's all about quality. He's incredibly challenging to talk to, but brilliant fun, because everything you say, that has even the slightest glimmer of it being um, predicated upon an assumption, he'll seize on it and it will go for you. So, but you say this and that's just not the case. And then what, well, what's that you mean? I mean, to take one of his phrases, um, in, in Spanish they refer to it as the second play, in English we refer to it as the second ball, you know, long ball, knock down, second ball. And in Spanish it's the second play, and Juan, uh, Juanma will always say, well what's the second play? You need to tell me what the first play was if there's a second play. Well, what's the, you know, this? And obviously in part this is pedantry, but it's a brilliantly enjoyable, challenging pedantry. And as a manager, he's a manager who in Spain divides opinions because he's seen as a purist, he's seen as a, I mean I suppose you've got the Bilardo Minotti thing which has sort of developed a, develops a bit in Spain and. And, and, and he, he would very definitely kind of, you know, he's the, the philosopher side of this debate and so on. And um, he, he has had very mixed results as a coach mm. in terms of results. But he has a very, I think, right, one of the people who best expressed it, I suppose, actually, is Henrik Goytom, who played with him at Almeria, who always said, if I was setting up a youth system explaining to kids how to play football, I would have one, Juan Malillo as the director of that youth system every single time. If I was choosing a manager to save my team from relegation I'm not sure I'd call him.
0: <laughs> he did keep Real
1: Oviedo up that well,
0: year. He, no, he insane. left before yeah. the
2: end of the season, didn't he? He was he Well, after 30
1: 34 yeah. games. Yeah. And and you know there were I I, I, I I'm not going to deny that there were times during that season when Oviedo's fans chanted bete, uh, Leo Betia, Leo mm-hmm. which is Leo go now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'd, I'd like to point at that stage I never wanted him to leave because I always found him um, enjoyable at least
0: he's an extraordinary character an absolute oh, he's journeyman yeah. he's, he's managed all around the world and uh, he's, he's been an assistant uh, as well number two and so on it's, and uh, as you say now he's uh, popped up at, at Manchester City so um, <laughs> goodness knows what, what him and Guardiola are, are concocting at the moment but um, I mean Sid going into... oh, well,
1: he's 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 he is a reader of um, Inverting the Pyramid
0: well, aren't we all? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you uh, know, I, I, I,
1: I, I, I did, I did supply him with a copy of that uh, at one point, and 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 he's, you know, he's fascinated by football history. You know, one of the reasons why I get on with him is because there've been times. I mean, I, I first met him working on on television together, when he was a pundit, and so was I. I mean, talk about being out of your depth, and you know, kind of in a competition you simply can't win. But um, but one of the reasons I get on with him is because he would ask things about English football, and you know, he loved the the. The kind of ethos behind the Liverpool of the seventies, although I suspect that the reality is slightly different to the narrative ethos of pass and move, or well, you pass and move and then pass it back to the goalkeeper from sixty yards. But but you know, the, the, but he 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 sort of loves that. and he's a massive massive football fan in a cultural sense as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he he will make a thing about telling you, oh, I read that in that magazine. I've got every back issue of Graphic, or I've got every single issue of you know this magazine and that magazine and and, and the other. And he's a he's a you know. He's a man. Well, he's a man, for example, who would love
0: Blizzard.
1: Excellent. If if, if if his English was better.
0: Well, Sid, has he read uh, Catholicism, War, and the Foundation of Francoism? You know, that's the I, question.
1: I'm pretty sure he hasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: maybe. But I mean, um, so,
2: I, mean um, I mean, can you explain a bit more about Guardiola's relationship with him and why Guardiola hmm. admires him so much?
1: Because Guardiola sees him as someone who teaches. He sees him as someone who has a, a steadfast belief in, in a kind of football that Guardiola would agree with, that's based on positioning, that's based on use of the ball rather than based on physical qualities, that's based on, on, on understanding, I would say, even more than technical qualities. Obviously, this is a football that's rooted in the technical ability, but it's actually rooted more than anything else in the ability to construct. And so one of the things that, that Leo will always say is, hang on a minute, don't deconstruct this. You know, so for example, I, I remember in that, in that, that, that interview, when I said to him something along the lines of, because he was at Almeria at the time, I think, or had just left Almeria, and he had Albert Crusat playing on one of the two wings. And Albert Crusat was incredibly fast. And I would talk about, you know, playing a way that will release Crusat and all the rest of it. And, and, and he said, yeah, but you're taking Crusat out of the equation of everything else, out of the context. I said, well, of course I am, but you must know that that's one of the one of the assets that you've got or one of the qualities you've got as part of your team so you build elements you build mechanisms that allow him to go one-on-one and and he makes this point about how you know this 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 is this decontextualization of the game doesn't help uh, and that everything is is interconnected and so on and you can't break it down and put it back together again Um, and and you know for example talking about physical training he said well just running around the field doesn't train you for anything except for running for except for running around the field that it doesn't teach you anything unless you have the context, the context around it. And I think Guardiola likes that. She'll so use the horrible word, holistic, but likes that kind of holistic view of, of it, that this is all about how you construct everything rather than taking it apart piece by piece and, 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 and contextualising and understanding. And, and inter- I suppose interpretation is probably the best word of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And because Guardiola went to play with him right in the end of his career in Mexico, yeah.
1: And, and he would claim, and Guardiola has claimed, I don't know if this is entirely true or not, but he went because it was Leon because he wanted to work with Leo. And Guardiola, for example, when I think it was Jus Bassat was going was running for presidential elections, presumably in 2008, but I can't remember which year it was. It might have been the 2003 elections. I'm not sure. Bassat was a presidential candidate. His director of football, bizarre enough, even though he was very, very young at the time, was Guardiola. And Guardiola's coach would have been Leo. So had, had that presidential ticket have won, if you like, the kind of the roles might well have been... Inverted to what we expect now. Maybe Guardiola would never have become a coach.
0: Mm. Um, so th- I want to turn our attention back to Real Oviedo, and inevitably we're going to talk about the financial troubles that they've suffered recently. Um, in the early two thousands, um, you know, the, the sort of where it kind of began, uh, suffering two relegations in quick succession. Mm. Uh, because one can forget. I mean, I sort of always think of them as a, as a lower league side, and I know they've been in the they're in the Segunda division at, at the moment but of course they weren't always there they, they were on the liga side for, for a number of seasons what was what, what was going on at the time you know you, you know you were there sort of supporting them and, and, and so on because the, the, the mayor am I right in saying that one of the local political figures suggested that that, um, that, that you know he proposed that Rio Oviedo should be put out of business yeah. what was the what was the mood around with the, with the fans at that time? Right, well, it's I mean, it's obviously you, very difficult.
1: Yeah, as you say, obviously, Oviedo, I mean, historically, I think Oviedo have probably spent more seasons in the second division than any other division. Uh, but sure. I think it's only by six or seven more seasons more than in the first division. Historically, mm. they are a first or second division team. They were a first division team, obviously, the year I lived in, in Oviedo, hence the fact that it was Barcelona and so on. Um, They had really big financial difficulties. And, and, and that season that they went down, 2001, which is the season when Radiantich was manager, Stan Collymore signed, Halfway through the season, so I mean, if we like, we can blame it all on Stan. But let's do, it. let's do that. Let's blame it all on Stan. Um, they, what I do like about Stan is, is that when he signed, when he signed, Radja Antich said this quote along the lines of, "You know, we could be talking about the best sign in this club's ever made." When they went down and Stan left, Raddy Antich came out and said, "Signing Stan had nothing to do with me." So, well, well Radij, I, mean, I mean, to be fair, he didn't claim the first time around that it was his doing, but but you know, it was a, a bit of a sea change there. But they they were a poor team that year and they went down. But there was a series of financial difficulties, and, and they were relegated administratively as well. So went down two divisions at once, essentially because a series of players, um, and the way that the legal system works in Spain is through denuncias. I suppose you would say, formal complaints, formal legal complaints. You go to the police and you, you make a denouncement. Um, this this uh, led to a situation in which the only way to save Oviedo was um at that stage was for the players to withdraw that, that complaint. A series of them, including the club captain at the time, a guy called Oli, who's from Oviedo, which I think made it more painful refuse to so they end up getting sent down to second division b they end up even in the third division now to put this into context for people because in a way second division b and third division doesn't sound so bad right but second division b is the division below the second division
0: mm.
1: and it's four divisions but this year it's going to be 100, 102 teams, it's going to be five divisions, but it's traditionally four divisions. So you're talking about 82 teams.
0: But also the, the lower leagues in, in Spain, it's not the same as in well, England. Well, that's what I mean. So, so in yeah. terms of the
1: numbers and also in terms of the the, the, the theoretical status. So theoretically, it's amateur football. And yes, it's not, exactly. It's not amateur football, but theoretically it is. When people talk about football professional mm. in Spain, they mean the first and second division. You know, yeah. to, to put it in terms of jurisdiction, it's run by the federation, not by the league, for example. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in the second division B is anything from the third tier to the seventh tier because it's mm-hmm. four divisions, 102 uh, sorry, 82 teams. Then below that, the third division. There's a third division for each and every one of the 17 autonomous communities in Spain. I think it's something like 360 teams. Mm-hmm. So what's third division doesn't sound too bad in English English terms, but it's anything from the eighth division to the now my master's going to fail me. What would it be? Uh, Thirty. Second division or something. Uh, I'll just chuck that off the top of my head. Sure, sure, sure. Um, And so, and so, it's really quite bad, and you just don't generate any money down there. So Avila we're in crisis. They had an owner who disappeared, um, who was who, who disappeared. I think, I think he went to Panama. He was looked for. He was being looked for by Interpol at one point. And there were two crisis points at which they might have gone out of business. One was in two thousand and three, which is when the local council basically looked at the situation, and. At the risk of going against everything I believe in, you can see a certain logic in what they were in, was suggesting, even if I don't share it or accept it at all, which was, look, the financial situation is awful. At one point, there was even a suggestion we might merge with Sporting Gijon, that there would be a, a Real Asturias for the, for the whole of the region, um, which is completely inviolable. But at that point, there was a suggestion, look, this is, this is not possible. They're playing in a municipal stadium. Um, they've got no money, they cannot survive. So, what the local government said, well, we'll, we'll withdraw their su- the support from the club and we'll put our weight behind a club called Club Astur, which is a third division team. And they will effectively become Oviedo. And they would be called Oviedo AFC, Oviedo Astur football club, right? So, so then you say, so we'll put the money behind them because they can effectively start from scratch. We'll put them in Oviedo's colours. We'll play them in the, in the Tartiere Stadium and this can be the new Oviedo. And it was referred to. Biovio fans as as if you like the stillborn fetus. You know, this is this 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 is a, a kind of a deformed monster. This can't happen. And what happened was that the fans reacted. And the fans reacted, and the club's president at the time, a guy called Manolo La refused to effectively sign the, the the you know the the decree of what would you call it of um, going out of business, uh, the, the kind of the... the, the, the winding the, up
0: the, order. Yeah. yeah, the winding up
1: order. That's the word I'm looking for, like the deaf foreign, effectively. <laughs> and so Oviedo fought back and they, they fought back and they basically got rid of all the players and, and started again, effectively, with the B-team players. Hmm. From a young, le- from all of them young, all of them making virtually no money and backed by the fans who raised money, who fought politically. So we're not going to accept this. The, 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 the local council could see that there's kind of, like, a, a political pressure against this. Marches in the street, bring and buy sales, all sorts of stuff. And so the fans save the club in 2003. Hmm. What then happens is this owner that I'm talking about, you know, then then buys a club. Theoretically, this is rescued, but the money gets wasted again and they find themselves in another dire situation in 2012 when, again, the fans rise up and rescue the club effectively for a share issue that raises the money to make them short-term viable and long-term possible to save. And with that share issue at the very end of it, and the fans had raised sufficient money to save the club in the long-term, what happens is that Carlos Slim comes in and effectively buys the rest of the shares necessary. So Oviedo now are owned by pretty much the richest man in the world.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So hang on, the the shares I bought then, the shares you made (laughs) me buy, what's happened to them? Oh, they're worth nothing now.
1: They they still exist, but of course they've been diluted. They're probably worth more than they were when you bought them, Um, but you saved the club. You, Jonathan wasn't saving.
0: I was about to say, Sid. I mean, it's a, obviously we only have a certain amount of time, when there's a lot to pack in there. But you have brushed over some of the fine work that yourself and, and, and Jonathan apparently uh, did. I, I in... bought
2: three shares. I think I, I didn't have a huge amount to do with it. But all right, Jonathan, I'm trying to. Yeah, I, I just you, remember Sid threatening me, kind of like buy <laughs> these <his> shares or <laughs> his of... mate and the miner's helmet to come around. But, but a lot yeah. of people
0: in England, uh, largely probably through you, Sid. You know. Promoting it and and using threatening behaviour, according to Jonathan, um, you know, bought shares in in Real Oviedo and did help the club. And um, you know, we've seen sort of the odd documentary here and there where Real Real Oviedo uh, fans seem to be quite touched that supporters in England would mm. bother kind of helping their club.
1: Yeah, and and that's I mean, you asked earlier about accessibility. One of
0: the lovely things now
1: is because of because that happened and because. Uh, English fans played such a big part. So, I mean, so to cut a very long story short, there was a share issue in which they said, right, we need to raise this money within two weeks. I think it was 1.9 million euros uh for, for mid or short-term sustainability. I think they needed four million euros for, for any kind of long-term or future. And they reached that 1.9 million euros through shares bought by fans all over the world, pushed. But a lot of those fans were in England. Um, and so there was a real sense that the Oviedo had effectively uh, found itself a fan base almost or at least found itself some some people that had helped out in england and what that means now is that when fans go to england now because there's a go to oviedo now from england and go to a game because there's an awareness that there was a role played by them at a time when oviedo were, were in genuine danger of going out of business there's a real fondness now i think for, for foreign fans who turn up and there's a real embracing of them from from other supporters and so now in terms of accessibility if jonathan was to turn up for example in oviedo and go into the right bars in the city and say, I'm in a the other shareholder, you know, that's it, have a drink, have some dinner, come to the game, you know, and, and there's, that's created a a wonderful accessibility, which, which, which is actually genuinely quite moving when you see it now.
2: But yeah. I mean, you were, sort of, there presentations on the pitch to you and things, wasn't it? They were so grateful to what you'd done.
1: Yeah, there was, there was, there was a... A kind of a sense that, that from from within Asturias, at least, that, that, that I'd kind of driven it quite hard, and and that, that some of this had happened. It
2: you have driven it quite hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, 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 yeah, clearly, I've driven you quite hard, at least. Um, so, that, so so yeah, I mean, as I say, I mean, it's it's lovely in terms of the accessibility um, of of people going to to, to games and stuff, and, and in terms of from a purely personal point of view. When I go, the, the way that people treat me is, is absurd. I mean, you know, they treat me with a, with a warmth and a, and, a, and a gratitude that, quite honestly, I don't deserve. But, but you know, there you go. There's a, there's a lovely Di Stefano phrase, I think, when he was given the, the, the all time Ballon d'Or. And he said, uh, I don't deserve it, but I'll pocket it. And so I, th- I think
0: that's pretty much what I see. It. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in England, we look at you as the unofficial mayor of Oviedo, quite frankly. Yeah, um, I-
1: I'd like to think that if they ever got in trouble again, I wouldn't be putting my weight behind Club Astor. I'd be definitely putting it behind Real Oviedo.
0: Well, yeah, I-, I think if they got in trouble again, Jonathan, you know, all they need to do offer him is a book signing. And, uh, and he'll be there to help him out shortly. Tell you me, what, that-,
1: that-, 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 that could work. I mean, maybe you could do Oviedo as <laughs> your next book. I'm just going to sell more mainstream stuff. Than oh, I was, I was just gonna, I was about to say it's only slightly left, more left field than some of the books you've done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's, Sid, it's been it's been great talking to you about um, this. I mean, presumably, obviously, the answer to is yes. But but you, you would recommend uh, uh, when this pandemic and all that mm. you know the world has returned to something uh, approaching uh, what we think we know is normal. Uh, a, a, a Sort of a trip to Real Oviedo for, for fans from England or elsewhere listening to this podcast to check yeah. out the city and the, t- and, the, and the team.
1: Absolutely, I would. And, and, and you know, we, we're talking about a, a derby. I would recommend the derby as well. And obviously one of the things that happened when Oviedo went down to, C, to one of Division B mm. is it meant that for many years they didn't play a derby. You know, we went 12 years without an Asturias derby. In fact, Oviedo did play a few derbies, but it was against Sporting's B team because B teams play in the National League in Spain. And so as an, as an example, if you like, of, of how far Avila had fallen, you know, had, you had this kind of sense of shame of, of playing against them. Mm-hmm. Um, Came back, I was at the first Derby back after 12 years, and just extraordinary in terms of the, the atmosphere. I went to the home one, not the away one, although I did go to one of the away ones against the B team in the second division B, and that was a bit edgy, uh, to say the least. But obviously you go incognito because the stadium's not full and, and so on. Um, but but it's it, it's well worth seeing and, and it's a, it's a it's a beautiful city. I, I you know look. I probably shouldn't say this as an Oviedo fan, but go to go to Jicon as well go to Sporting, which is a which is I think a, a great club in many ways. It's, it's yeah. a club with a really good fan base that make a lot of noise. That um, I wish they were in the first division. Obviously, I don't want them in. A, I'd like them in the first division with us. That, that would be nice.
0: Oh, marvellous. Well, when the coast is clear, Jonathan, we'll pull up in the Bay of Biscay and we'll, uh, we'll check out the sounds. Marvellous. Well, thank you very much, Sid, for talking to us uh, about that. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the pod. Pleasure. Um, for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk, everybody. Uh, next week, Jonathan and myself will be back with another great game from the history of football. Until then, have a good one.